So Romans chapter 8, um, God willing, we'll be looking at verses 9 through 17 uh, together. I'm going to go ahead and read for us verses 9 through 17 of Romans chapter 8. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who, were, who, who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Let's pray. Father, as we now turn to Your Word, this gift, this amazing gift of You revealing Yourself to us, we, we ask for help. And Father, I pray that our time together in this uh, chapter, this chapter that has encouraged so many believers through the ages, I pray that You would use it to encourage us now. I pray that in it we will find strength, that in it we will, will find uh, a word that, is, uh, that, that fits us where we are. And Father, I pray um, that in it we, we will find encouragement to fight the flesh. We will find encouragement that You have already bought our salvation and we will find encouragement that it is not always going to be this way. And Father, we look forward to the day that Christ Jesus makes this all right. And I pray this morning that You would find us as a people willing to wait, but waiting in hope. We ask these things, Father, to You through the strong name of Jesus, Your Son, that You would accomplish these by Your Spirit. Amen. So we've said multiple times that the argument of Romans can really be summed up uh, in verses 16 and 17 of Romans. And there we're told, for I, in this verse 16, I am not, Romans 1, 16 and 17, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So in Paul's letter to the Romans, he's demonstrating throughout the entire letter that the gospel, the good news, is a gift 
by God to save sinners from the wrath of God through the, their faith in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This assumes that, that one believes he needs to be saved from the wrath of God and that one believes that salvation comes only by faith in Jesus Christ and not by rule keeping and observances. Then, as you march through Romans, you get to chapter 2, and Paul turns everything on his head in verse 29, and he says this, 2, 28 and 29, For no one is a Jew who is one merely, one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So Jews prided themselves as being the children of Yahweh. The Jewish identity was established by the mark of circumcision. It was an outward mark that tied you to a bloodline heritage. But Paul says that being a Jew, being a child of God, is not concentrated on the external reality. It's not that way, but it's the result of an inward change. In particular, it's a change. This inward change is brought by the Holy Spirit. So if you follow that, you might say that the gospel logic works out like this. The good news, that's the gospel, declares that we need salvation, that salvation comes by a work of God to give us faith in Jesus, and this faith comes only when the Spirit of God changes a person from the inside. Paul spends chapters 3, 4, and 5 marching through those, explaining that there is no way, it is impossible, that the law can bring people who are dead in their sins to life. The law is really good at declaring us dead. It's great at it. It is great at diagnosing us. But it cannot treat us, and it certainly cannot bring us from death to life. This is only done by the work of Christ. So Paul opens up chapter 6 and says this, We were buried therefore, this is chapter 6, verse 4, We were buried therefore with Him by that baptism into, into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might now walk in newness of life. So this language that we might walk in newness of life, catch this, it is evidence of an inward change, a new birth. Those who are saved are those who recognize their need to die to sin and be raised in Christ. This is why baptism by immersion is the perfect picture of the gospel. It's an outward display of an inward change. Keep marching through. So in chapter 6 and 7, uh, Paul explains that followers of Jesus do not need to live in a sinful ma manner because the power of sin has been defeated by the cross. Nor do they need to turn to the law because the law will not help them. The law does not love them. But Paul knows that the current life, and this is where it's so eminently helpful, helpful 
I'm really hoping you begin to love chapter 8 as much as Christians across history have loved chapter 8. Paul knows that the current life that believers experience in is not that simple. Let me say it again. And this is what chapter 8 is all about. Paul knows that the current life that believers are experiencing is just not that simple. It's not as simple as we are dead to sin, we're alive to God, and therefore sin is gone, and perfection is here. Paul openly acknowledges this struggle at the end of chapter 7. He says this, For I delight in the, in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of mine and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of death? Paul explains the battle he feels in his inner being. On the one hand, he has a desire to live according to the world, the flesh. And on the other hand, he deeply wants to follow the things of God. You might think that chapter 7 ends with the question, what is going on? Please help. And then you might think that chapter 8 is the response. What is going on? Why do I feel this way? Chapter 8 is the response. While chapter 7 ends with the inward inhale of anxiety, who will save me? Chapter 8 opens with the exhale of relief. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm not going to be condemned. But this still doesn't answer the question, what is going on in the struggling believer? What's going on in the inside? And here Paul acts as both the patient and the physician. He is the patient asking, Doc, what is wrong with me? And he's the calming physician who begins with, calm down. You're going to be okay. What you're experiencing is normal for someone with your condition. Condition? <laughs> what do you mean condition? Says Paul the patient. Well, you do have a condition. It's going to bring you some discomfort. It's going to feel awkward. But it's ultimately a good thing. Responds Paul, the calming physician, the consoling doctor. I see all of chapter 8 is Paul explaining the awkward condition of being a believer before death and before the full coming of the kingdom. In the opening verses, Richard, incredibly helpful message last time, he, he considered and he, and he explained to us that Paul gives us two types, two very different types of living in verse 5 and 6. 
For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death. Set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. So, there are those who live according to the flesh and set their minds on the things of the flesh. This leads to death. This, as Paul explained all the way through chapter 2 and 3, is the default position of all man. Every human is born into flesh, has their mind by default on the things of the flesh, and because of this, is destined to die and pay the rightful payment for this way of living. That's eternal punishment. So how do you get diagnosed as one who has a mind of flesh? Catch this, really important for Christian theology. Here's how you get diagnosed as one who has a mind of flesh. You get born. That's it. And every funeral is a testament that this was the case. Every dead body contains someone who had a mind of the flesh. Hence, use some Roman logic here, that's why they are dead. It's actually quite ironic. That at funeral services, we spend all our time trying to say nice things about someone when the most clear, vivid evidence that they are not all nice actually is literally on display before us. Namely, they're not all nice. We know that because they are dead. That's the exact logic of Romans here. So every person in this room, every person, at least has the condition of having a mind of the flesh. But Paul mentioned two types of minds. There's the other type. It's the mindset on the spirit. Whereas the mindset on the flesh leads to death, the mindset on the spirit leads to life. Paul doesn't think that the mindset on the flesh needs much explanation. We get that. We understand why we're all there. What he tries to explain is how someone gets a mindset on the Spirit. Now that takes some explanation. A mind, a mind of the Spirit of God is just explained in verse 9. How you get that. Verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Catching this? Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. First, notice that Paul doesn't need an argument as to how it is a person's in the flesh. He needs to argue why it is that a person is not only in the flesh. A person cannot can only not be in the flesh if the Spirit of God dwells in them. And how do you have the Spirit of God? How do you have the Spirit of Christ? You have to belong to Christ. So much so that Paul can say anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ doesn't belong to Him. Stay with me. This is, I want you to notice, how Trinitarian... So the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How Trinitarian this language is. In that verse, we actually see one time the Holy Spirit called the Spirit of God and another time called the Spirit of Christ. 
The Trinity is not just a fun puzzle that we think of as Christians. Our faith crumbles without it. The way a person gets a mind of the Spirit is the person of the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us. You think that maybe Paul just made this up? On the very night that he was going to die, the night that Jesus died, listen to some of the words that he gave to his disciples in John chapter 14. Also notice how much the entire Trinity is involved. John 14, 16. And I will ask the Father, and He, so I is who? Jesus is going to ask who? The Father. And He will give you another Helper. Who is that? The Holy Spirit. You already see the Trinity, right? I will ask the Father. He will give you, so the Son will ask the Father, and the Father will give us another Helper, that's the Holy Spirit, to be with you, to be with you, forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world, that's the flesh, they cannot receive because it neither knows them, sees them, or knows them. You know Him. This is Jesus talking. Sounds a lot like Paul talking. For He dwells with you and He will be what? In you. In that day you will know that I am in the Father. I am in the Father. That's the sons in the Father. And you are in me, we are in the Son, and I am in you, He is in us. Because the Holy Spirit is in us. Do you see the fullness of the Trinity? If you don't find this weird, you've been around Christianity your whole life. That's the only other thing I can come up with. Go talk to anyone who has not always been around Christianity, and they will find this the oddest stuff. Go talk to a Muslim. Try to explain to them the Trinity. First of all, they freak out. Second of all, they start some funny math games. Now, one plus one plus one equals three, but you say it's one. Then the other thing they're going to do is they're going to be really weirded out when you start talking about God living in you. That's weird stuff. It's the only way our faith works. Without it, our faith completely crumbles. And you're going to see, it's not just, oh, this is heady, fun stuff. This is actually the way that we live and find encouragement. Alright, so inasmuch as the person of the Holy Spirit dwells in someone, so also Jesus dwells in them. Okay? So I, I just pictured as I was writing this, I pictured Romans 7 Paul, that's who I kept naming him. I pictured him in the waiting room at this point in the sermon, groaning, saying, um, great, terrific, I'm not in the flesh, I'm in the Spirit, but it does not feel that way. Have no fear. Romans 7, Paul. There is an answer. Tee up verse 10. But if Christ is in you, but if Christ is in you, you hear Romans 7 Paul saying, that's right, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. So, if, so you say, okay, well how is this helpful? This is incredibly helpful. So if Christ is in you, then even though your body is dead because of sin, your spirit is by the Holy Spirit, is life because of righteousness. So Romans 7, Paul, what you're experiencing is the presence of twin realities. 
On the one hand, your body is dead because of sin. You have a flesh nature that doesn't care about the things of God and wants to rebel against the things of God. You had that at birth. In Romans 7, Paul, you still have that. Every human breathing on the earth has that in common with you. But Christ is in you. And therefore, you also have a spirit that is alive because of Christ. This is the reality, the awkward reality for every Christian. And now you know the next question coming. Well, okay. So how long has that got to last? This is awkward. How long has it got to stay this way? Tee up verse 11. Paul's walking right through it. I mean, he's the most helpful position. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, which it has to, the Holy Spirit dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life, this is key, to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Now verse 10 already talked to us about the body. So the answer is, Will it be this way forever? The short answer is no. If the Holy Spirit dwells in you, there is coming a day when He will take your body, usually the flesh, and He's going to take your body and give it real righteous life. So the very body that Paul just described as dead in verse 10, he now says, well, one day the body will have life. There is coming a day when for every Christian from the inside out, not only from the very inside out, not only will the Spirit offer life, but the body will also fully cherish the things of God. That is coming. Well, now that just sounds terrific. That sounds really great. And I always thought that was a huge thing for, for me and my sin. Then I had kids and I started to think, oh God, bring that day, right? This is great news. Then Romans 7, Paul is back in the waiting room groaning. Okay, but what about now? Like what, a, what are you going to give me to take home? I always laugh at Heather. Um, I shouldn't laugh. I should sympathize more. But uh, dealing with, uh, she always says one of the worst things that happen is when somebody comes in really sick and you realize the only thing that's going to heal them is time. Um, you're just looking for anything to be able to give them because they just want something. Uh, so this is Romans 7 Paul saying, great, so what do I do in the meantime? Verse 12. By the way, I need to tell you, we are more than halfway through the sermon. I have not made any positive progress past where Richard did last time. Um, so I'm hoping to make that positive progress, but don't worry, we're at least halfway done. Alright, so then brothers, verse 12, this is, so this is the answer. This is real key to make sure you follow logic. The answer, verse 12 is answering the question, great, one day it's going to all stop, but what am I supposed to do till then? So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, 
Not uh, to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you'll die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So what do we do until then? Paul responds by telling us what not to do. <laughs> Don't, he says in verse 12, be debtors of the flesh. That is, if there are two conditions currently active within you and one is going to get swallowed up by the other one, then certainly don't give service to the one that's going to lose. Instead, do all that you can to isolate the losing one and give service to the one that will define you forever. So brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh. For we are not like those who live only according to the flesh. They will die. Instead, we need to get on the winning side, the side of the Spirit, and work with the Spirit, by the Spirit, to do death to the flesh. Imagine during the time of the Revolutionary War, you live in the eastern part of Virginia, and it is around the time of the Battle of Yorktown. And your family has never yet picked a side um, on, on where they land, whether they'll support the Brits or support the good guys. And, and then you hear that Cornwallis will have to surrender. Now, I am thinking the worst move for you and your family, and there were thousands who made this move, bad move, the worst move for you and your family would be at that point to decide, you know what, I think we'll stick with the Brits on this one. That's a bad move. It would be really bad for you to start going now, put on a red coat, and start fighting for the Brits. No! If you hadn't decided what you're going to do, the best move at that point is all of a sudden to become a patriot. right? All of a sudden start fighting with the Americans and act like you've always been fighting with the Americans so when the war is over, you're on the winning side. In answering the question, what shall we do to wait for the Spirit to win, Paul argues, fight on the winning side. Don't fight with the losers. It makes sense. The flesh is going to die fight with the spirit and it is going to, because it is going to win. And notice, we don't go attacking the flesh with our own uh, strength. Instead, what does he say? Verse 13, you do this how? By the spirit. All right, now Paul does something that is just really cool. It's as if he poses this rhetorical question. Hmm. This is Paul. Hmm. Where have I heard the story of the people who had already been saved from slavery, already promised a new land of plenty, and struggled to know how to get there? Hmm. I got it. It sounds just like the children of God on their way out of Egypt and into the promised land. But because they struggled with that transition, they did not go straight to the promised land. What did they do? They wandered in the awkward condition of the wilderness. Now keep that in mind. Look at verse 14. You're going to see why I think he's doing that. This is great. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the what? sons of God. Now, do you remember a scene where the children of God were led by the Spirit of God? Think about it. If, that was a, if you were playing Bible trivia right now and someone said, where were the children of God directly led by the Spirit of God? Well, there's only just one obvious answer. It's the Exodus. 
Remember the children of God had the cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, and what was it? The Spirit of God. He's, he's leading them. Haven't you always wondered how in the world could they literally have the same cloud follow them all day long? Look up, up there it is. Here you go, sleep at night. There's no street lights. You don't have night lights. It's dark, dark. You're in the wilderness. Oh, there's a pillar of fire. He's hanging around day after day, night after night. There's the cloud. There's the fire. How in the world did they grumble so often that God was not present with them? And they did over and over, asking God, why can't you just be here? Don't you care? Don't you know what we're going through? Right above them, same cloud at night, same pillar of fire. Oh friends, how silly must we look when the Spirit of God dwells where? In us. And we question the presence of God. How ridiculous must I look when the Spirit of Christ dwells in me and I struggle to live today as if there is more than the simple stresses and worries that await me at work and at home. If we are children of God, then we should be led by the Spirit of God. And unfortunately, this has been misunderstood often to only mean something like we should wait for some mystical feeling given over by the Spirit if we have a big decision to make. Who should we marry? Should we change jobs? Should we move home? Well, then you go ask the Spirit of God to lead you and He gives you a right feeling. That is not chiefly what Paul means by being led by the Spirit of God. To be led by the Spirit of God is to be ever attentive to the promises and the ways of God. To look to Him not just for guidance and decisions, but nourishment of soul, sense of purpose, hope for the future, energy and goodwill. When led by the Spirit, like the children of God, we become regularly fed by God. He becomes our giver. He becomes our sustainer. He is not merely the means to the end. He becomes the supply. Verse 15. Still saying, so what do I do now? You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Well, what does it mean to follow a spirit of slavery back into fear? Well, go straight back to the story of Exodus. Do you recall how many times Israel whined and talked about how they wanted to go back to Egypt? Well, they were happy to hear about the promised land. All it took was a few hunger pains and they were aghast. God, why did you bring us out here to kill us? I want to go back to Egypt. I love my slave house, my slave car, my little slave dog. We made slave mud pie meals. Never mind the slave master and the slave whip. That's what it is called to go back into a slavery of fear. 
I would be shocked if I'm not one of the worst offenders in this room. I can tell you how God has saved me from my sin. I can tell you of the amazing promises He has awaiting for me. But let the smallest bump in the road come. And I am rolling around. God, I just want everything to be smooth. Can't you just make this exactly how I want it at the time that I want it? And I want so bad to let the flesh take over. He continues, You have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Paul says we do not need to call those spirit of slavery because we have received the spirit of adoption. We're sons. Well, we have no business being called a child of God. We're heirs, fellow heirs, with Jesus, who is our brother. He goes even further to say that we can call God our Father. Now, many of us have grown up in Christian homes. And so from early on, we learned the Lord's Prayer. We were taught to pray. Our what? Our Father. It doesn't seem weird to us. Our Father. Yeah, that's how we start our prayer. There we go. Well, that's a Christian notion. It's not a Jewish notion. In fact, one scholar actually tried to track down, outside of Jesus, the uh, first uh, reference in Jewish theology of where they would use Father to talk about God. You know where he found it? He found it in the year, uh, in the 10th century. That's a thousand years after Jesus. Is the first time on record any Jew has ever referred to God as. Father. Paul, the Jew of Jews, is on record saying not only can Jesus call God the Father, but because the Spirit dwells in us, we can actually refer to Him as Father. So when Jesus constantly spoke of God with a sense of familiarity, a Father, it made the religious class go crazy. Let us not miss the point. It's not that there's anything special in us where we can call God Father. No, only Jesus has that right. But you get the point. Go all the way back to, to 14. We are in Him. To John 14. We are in Him and what? He is in us. The point stands that because Jesus lives in us by the Spirit of God who lives in us, we're adopted and therefore we can call God Father anytime anywhere. And how do we know that we're children of God? It says right there, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit. This is the experience that the children of God have when they hear the Word of God. When they're with the people of God. It's not principally a feeling, though it is certainly a feeling, but it's principally a desire to follow and submit to the things of God. Catch this. If you have any desire 
to follow and submit to the things of God. Genuine desire, not just because you do it because you want the respect of other people or you don't want to, uh, uh, to face eternal punishment, but there's any genuine desire in you to follow the things of God, this can only be true because the Spirit of God dwells in you. You're a child of God. We should not fall back in the spirit of slavery and fear because God is our Father and Christ is our brother. And then listen to the end there in 17. Verse 16 again, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. Period? No. That's the key. Heirs with Christ provided, provided, provided we suffer, provided, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be what? Glorified with Him. How do we get to the point at which the Spirit is in full control and the flesh is in no more control? How do we get to the point where we aren't battling and hurting? Well, if we want to enjoy glorification shared by Jesus, we share in the suffering of Jesus. This does not mean that we're all going to die on a cross. It doesn't mean that we'll all be martyred for our faith. But hear this. We will all suffer. We will all feel the effects of a broken world. We will know the pain of our temptations. We will feel frustrated by our weakness to overcome sinful habits, thoughts, and words. We're going to be hurt by personal betrayal, frustrated by selfishness and greed of ourselves and others. We're going to be victims of wicked acts and words. We're going to suffer the pain of losing those we love in death. We're going to hurt as we watch those we love suffer in sickness. We will want what we do not have. We will have what we do not want. We will cry. We will yearn. We will hunger. We will long. And we will suffer. Well, all men will suffer. Not all men will use their suffering to put to death the mind of the flesh. God uses suffering, hurt, deep disappointment in His children to make His children trust the mind of the Spirit and distrust the ways of the flesh. Those who suffer without the Spirit of God grow more dependent on the flesh to help them get rid of their suffering. Those who suffer with the Spirit of God grow more dependent on the Spirit and use their sufferings to get rid of the flesh. So if this world feels awkward to you, it's sort of like Paul is telling us in Romans 8, welcome to middle school. You have never met a sane soul who wanted to repeat middle school. Middle school is dreadful. 
It's the awkward part of life where you don't get cute points for being a kid or kudos for being an adult. And then you and all your middle school peers are put together for multiple hours a day with just enough hormones, energy, and bad ideas to be dangerous. There is one saving grace of middle school. There's only one. You don't know any better. No middle schooler or his peers knows of their predicament. Thank God. But if you had to go back now and repeat it, knowing what you do now, you would be traumatized. It would be real suffering. If Romans 7 ends with Paul explaining, help, who will save me from this? Romans 8 is the response of God. God is saving you. And the fact that you want to be saved from this is evidence that He is at work. Those who are in the flesh and only in the flesh, they're not hating the flesh. They're like middle schoolers enjoying middle school. Just let us be. And when God radically saves us and gives us the spirit of life, then this whole thing becomes awkward and hard. But that is evidence that God is in us and God is saving us. And praise God, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. It is no wonder, Father, that Romans 8 has been an anchor for so, so many believers over the years. It's so helpful. Father, I pray that You would be kind to us to help us to be encouraged that You are working this out. Even the sufferings of this world, the disappointments and the tough times, You are using those to save us. You're using those to help us love the things of God more and rely less on the things of this world and of the flesh. I pray, Father, that You would be so kind that Your Spirit within us would help us. I pray, Father, that You would bring this all to a close and bring us home. But Father, let us look forward with great anticipation that there is a day coming when You will make all things right and all of those who are living will live fully in the ways of God, including ourselves. Thank You for that. Thank You that You would be kind enough to give us the Spirit of God. Thank You that You would make us children of God. And Father, thank You that You would send Your Son into this broken, suffering, hurting world and allow Him to suffer in ways that we will never know so that we might become the children of God.
You're an unbelievable Father. We ask these things to you, Father, through the name of our brother Jesus. And we trust your spirit. He will lead us. He will get us home. Amen.